Greetings, friends. I'm Will Nicholas from Never Odd or Even, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast, exploring faith and fiction. Deep Space Nine. It's a wonderful reflective moment. Flame the dark. True salt wave. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. What's going on? Why is this being highlighted? That itself is another interesting question, isn't it? I think I'm starting to get why this science fiction thing is uh, <laughs> uh, is so attractive. You'll, you'll make a sci-fi fan out of me yet. Greetings, friends. This is Will Nicholas, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast. And today we're going to be looking at the episode called Fascination, which is the 10th episode in season three. This is another Luoxana Troy episode, uh, the mother of the next generation's Deanna Troy, and she visits the station for the Bajoran Gratitude Festival. Uh, during her visit, the crew is stricken with intense romantic attractions to one another, which does make this episode a, a dangerously wacky episode filled with absurd and inappropriate moments. I'm looking forward to uh, in, enjoying this dangerously wacky episode uh, with Dr. Jonathan Foy, uh, uh, who is the editor of the Insights magazine for the New South Wales and ACT Synod of the Uniting Church um, a uh, tutor for New South Wales University, uh, has a doctorate in communications and uh, father of a 16-month-old called James. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. That's no, good. I, uh, we've uh, You've interviewed me before for Insights Magazine, so it's great to have you on as a guest onto the podcast today. I'm surprised, sort of, I, I wondered if the reason you asked me to do this episode was because it's dangerously wacky and inappropriate. Well, look, I, I, uh, I uh, was thinking about who I could uh, invite, um, and it, it was a, a reasonably short list. Uh, but in the end, um, you were available for this week, so <laughs> it looks like you you got uh, the long or the short straw, depending on um, how you feel. I definitely enjoyed this episode a good deal. Um, I don't think it was the short straw at all, and I, I think we'll have the chance to talk about why that was. That'll be awesome. Before we do that, let's uh, get to know you a little bit more uh, for those uh, who um, have not heard your voice before. Um, Jonathan, um, have you? Uh, when was the first time you watched episodes of Deep Space Nine? So I was probably around the time that they actually came out the first uh, time on VHS. So we're talking about 1994 or 1995 for some of these earlier episodes and I was in primary school. I was a little bit generally into Star Trek without really following a lot of the main threads there. So I definitely uh, watched a little bit of the next gen, a little bit of the original series, uh, all the movies and a little bit of Deep Space Nine without really knowing everything that was kind of going on. So there are definitely things in this episode. I don't think if I did ever see it, I don't remember it, but I don't think I fully appreciated everything that was happening. There's some subtle references in there. Yeah, certainly. Um, I found myself uh, at points uh, uh, cringing a little, um, a little bit like what you do when you go back now and watch episodes of uh, The Flintstones or Bugs Bunny, um, where you kind of go, as a kid, I didn't get any of this, but now there's a whole bunch of stuff in this that actually is was right there. And stuff that it's not, yeah, we'll get into it as we go, I guess, but it, it's not at all obvious but I, I was I, I think maybe 
I might have been eight or nine years old when I started watching Star Trek. So stuff about the Hollow Suite, stuff about some of the jokes that are in there, um, definitely didn't understand at all at the time. Um, but yeah, so it, it's interesting to come back to this stuff uh, now at this point. Having, but I haven't really seen it. Yeah, haven't really seen it for the twenty odd years or however long it had been since. So. So uh, do you have a favourite character from what could be Deep Space Nine or Star Trek or, or anywhere in sci-fi? What's your, uh, your favourite sci-fi? Oh, so I don't know about favourite sci-fi in general, but looking at Deep Space Nine, there were two characters in this episode I remember I did always like, which are Quark and Miles for two completely different reasons and two completely different characters. Like Miles is kind of the more wholesome of the two and Quark is completely different to that and for entirely different reasons, a very entertaining character. And both of them get a really good uh, showing in this episode. So, look, let's start with Miles and Keiko. Um, their relationship really sits in the midst of this episode um, and um, the stresses and strains of, of two careers and and um, and life paths and choices. Uh, uh, you know, you've got a, a, a 16-month-old year, year old, um, so that gives you a, the – I'm certain you've had the opportunity to have uh, – um, uh, have plans to do one thing and then suddenly you get uh, um, that line from Molly. It feels so good. Really? Oh, tell Daddy what's wrong. Ah. Yeah, that's right. The uh, expectation of seeing them all day and then the vomiting, um, all that sort of stuff, uh, part of the reason why we had to delay, I think, the recording of this episode at one point or a few other things I had going on. Uh, was my son was sick like last week. So I, that was what I thought was kind of the the part of this episode that sits there kind of in opposition to everything else. It, it's kind of the most wholesome part of the entire story. It almost doesn't fit with the rest of this episode with how sort of relatable and wholesome the rest of that storyline was. Um, yeah. And I really love the way that they managed to tie that in. So at the end of the episode, they've they've worked out what's going on. They know that Luaxana is has got uh, what did they call it? Xanthi fever, which actually uh, affects mature um, Betazoid women. I love the line um, there as well. The the more mature women. Yes, they're being very careful um, uh, not to offend her, but but. People were getting these headaches just before they moved into this amorous kind of um, uh, of, of episode, um, and so Miles and Keiko check in with each other and check in with Doctor Bashir at the end of the episode to make sure that the reason why they haven't reconciled because they they really do come close to to calling it all off in this episode. Um, but they, they have to come back and check in and say, well, did we just get back together because of Xanthi fever um, or or have we really worked this out? So you're sure Dr. Bashir said your test results were negative? That's right. My headache was just a headache. I never was affected by Mrs. Troy. Well, I guess that means you don't have a latent attraction to me after all. Nothing latent about it. Mm. Weren't you paying attention last night? I was paying attention. <laughs> You still have the touch, O'Brien. And so there was an interesting counterpoint in that we've got all of these frivolous, inappropriate relationships happening all over the place, um, and, and then we've got this this one strong um, 
relationship between Miles and Keiko that, that kind of sits in contrast to that. And just the way that kind of it does come to a direct head at that one point, almost a clash between the two storylines, um, between what happens with Quark and what happens with Miles. and Absolutely. And, and you know, we're kind of uh, juggling, uh, you know, that is that, that, that funny scene where at the head of it, uh, Quark actually becomes affected uh, by um, Luxana's uh, telepathic um fever um and and decides that it's keiko that he wants to romanticize with oh forget about him what about me i need you keiko my ears tingle at the sight of you marry me she's taken Quark. easy chief he doesn't know what he's doing yeah he does it's it's one of those great moments where actually he grabs him by the ears which is an amazing visual and drags him away which just Miles continuing to be the very best character on this show, I think, in terms of just even then not being particularly violent, just reminding him she's taken. That's right. And especially what, with what we know of the Ferengi ears and the way they're used in sexual relationships, uh, the whole umox kind of thing. Um, Ferengi have very sensitive ears, um, um, both in terms of – trauma for being grabbed but also in terms of um of of uh sensuality and and pleasure there's a lot to unpack here as far as yeah one of the things in the reading for this that i did was that they used uh shakespeare's midsummer night's dream as a template for writing this episode yeah you can definitely see elements of that in that there's something kind of without them calling it magic, but almost something magical happening here. And the way that that fever played as almost a a kind of very convenient narrative device at the very end there. But uh, definitely you can see some elements there and kind of points where it reminds you of something else at the very least. So we've got, um, I've got to try and track the relationships here. So, so we've actually got Judzia, um, falls for um, Cisco. Um, uh, Jake falls for Kira. Um, what else have we got? We've got um, Kira and Bashir, which is really interesting in itself because at this point in the show's timeline, um, the Alexander Siddig and Nana Visitor um, were actually – uh, either uh, engaged or just married, so uh, they, they were having an off-screen romance um, out beside the, beside the, the screens. Um, and then um, Beryl, Vedic Beryl, was actually um, uh, chasing after Jadzia. So we had some really interesting dynamics, and we already mentioned uh, Quark and Keiko. And, I mean, it's just kind of interesting the the – Part of the very end of all of this, um, basically the the kind of when all of this has happened and it all kind of comes to end, uh, to a head, I should say, at the very end there, the kind of confrontation between all these characters and the way in which there's kind of that convenient explanation that at the very least it's kind of, uh, in in the case of some of them, the, the attraction could just simply be uh, sort of, deep down or, or kind of they, they mention it could be subconscious 
Yep. And so as a kind of a, as neat a resolution as I think you could get to a situation like this with all these people living so close in, in one another's kind of comfort zones and in that kind of confined space, it was about as convenient uh, an out as you could kind of have for a storyline like that. That's right. And so they had to um, really uh, give an explanation for why these these pairings actually happened without there being any lasting consequences beyond the episode for anyone except for Keiko and Miles. Um, and the other pair that, that that's in this episode is is uh, the relationship between Luoxana and Odo, which has um, been an ongoing relationship. This will be the third time that Luxana and Odo um, have caught up in an episode. Well, officially, I'm here as the Betazoid representative to the Gratitude Festival. But the truth is, I came to see you, you poor, sweet, tortured man. Excuse me? Oh, I know the torment you must be going through. Well, to spend your whole life searching for your people, only to discover that they're the leaders of that awful dominion. You heard about that? Oh, no. Don't worry. I'm here to help you. What kind of help do you mean? Oh, a sympathetic ear, a shoulder to cry on, a lap to melt in. So without going too far off the beaten track here or to spoil too much that's coming up for those of us that haven't not watched this show for decades now, is there more where that came from or was this kind of where the resolution happened for those two characters? No, it actually gets um, more intense for Waxana and Odo into the future. And one of the things I've, I, I don't worry about, um, and we're unashamedly able to engage in spoilers in this, because really uh, if, if you're um, – engaged in a conversation in 2021 about a show that was released in 1996, yeah. then you're a little bit behind the time. I mean, spoiler, spoiler uh, uh, culture is an interesting one. I mean, uh, if you've never read, you know, say Beowulf and someone goes ahead and mentions to you what happens in that thousands of years old poem, is that a spoiler? Uh, I mean, people, people don't like having – the surprises taken away from them, but you've surely had enough time by now, I think, when it comes to Deep Space Nine. And sometimes a well-leaked um, idea or concept from a show um, uh, switches from being a spoiler to being an appetizer. So there, there's this interesting relationship between spoilers and appetizers. I mean, definitely that's been the, the tactic that Marvel have used, not so much for their films, but for their comics. Maybe the past decade or so is just leaking spoilers left, right, and center um, that kind of managed to torpedo any current readers but again it's kind of it's a tactic in a lot of cases so again uh we might mention a few things that happen here or, or there um but i have to say watching this episode it did remind me a little bit of those past episodes i'd seen it's been a long time like i said between viewings for me and i would say this so there were a lot of different reactions to this one uh to this episode from what i saw reading up about it, but I, I, I don't know. I, I would say this one probably got me in back into Deep Space Nine or at least curious about watching more from here. And I don't know if I'm particularly unusual in that or if other people that went ahead and watched this might have the same response. But 
from your own experience here, I mean, a lot of people seem to be bagging this. Um, Screen Rant said it was one of the 10 worst episodes of Deep Space Nine, but where would yep. you place this? I mean, if, if you watch this episode today for the, maybe the first time, would you say it was one of the worst ones or where would you link this? Look, one of the things that um, science fiction often gets fairly badly criticised about is is romantic writing. Um, and so what they've got here is is Star Trek's version or Deep Space Nine's version of the romantic comedy. So this is a rom-com in space uh, in a 40-minute in a episode. Um, and so um, from from if you put it in that perspective, then it's got – all the elements and writing that you would expect in an episode of Friends, which was, you know, on at about the same time. Um, but the problem is that it it, it can it can um, cause some dissonance in that, in that that's not what we've we've tuned in to expect. We're not looking for a for a Friends episode when we've tuned in to watch Deep Space Nine. Um, and and so that dissonance can actually cause people to sort of unplug, and I think that's why you know uh, you know IMDb only gives it a six point three, which is very low for a for a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think that what this does is it allows the characters to that well the actors to actually play inside their characters a bit, and so we get an immense amount of character development in this episode, which. If you were already familiar with the story of Deep Space Nine, um, then you, 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 it would draw you, or it did draw me, the same as you, back into the series um, because I'm kind of going, hey, and, and throughout it, it, it allowed me to be an insider because I'm going, Kira and Bashir, that's not going to work. That's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Jake and Kira, not going to happen. <laughs> so all of the relationships were were absurd. They were, they were not entertainable, even... Judzia and Beryl, um, Judzia and Cisco. There were there were really really good reasons why every one of those episodes, every one of those those pairings was inappropriate for one reason or another. Which is again, I mean, you mentioned before that sort of this is an episode that you know if uh, we look back on it now with our twenty twenty one eyes, a lot of things about this sort of stand out, or or you kind of look go that's a little bit problematic that somehow managed to pass muster back in 1995. I think this episode would have aired. Yeah. Um, the whole thing started in 1993. This is about the third season. We're quite yep. deep into the third season. So I'm guessing 1995 there. Um, that relationship there or the kind of uh, way that they went about the whole Jake Sisko storyline. Now, Jake, what can I do for you? Huh. Uh, I need some advice. You see, there's this older woman, and I, th I think we're perfect for each other. Ah, uh, and she doesn't. I don't know what she thinks. Well, Jake, my advice to you is to tell Marta how you feel. That way you'll know... Marta and I broke up. You broke up? Well, then who? You. Me. I love you, Narice. Want to go out with me? That that in particular that stood out to me as I think maybe if this was to try to go to air in twenty twenty one they might have had some more problems with that angle. Would wouldn't you say? Or am I maybe reading too much into no. that because it involves a younger younger person? 
Absolutely. Jake's 16 years of age at this stage of Deep Space Nine. Uh, Kira is clearly in her early 30s. Um, and so, and, and she's in a position of power uh, on the station. Um, and so it, it puts her in a really, really awkward position. Um, and, and you kind of see that because you see, um, she's got to work out, well, how do I talk to Ben Cisco about the fact that his son is coming on to me? Um, I got to criticize the boss's son whilst at the same time make sure that there's no way that I'm responsible for encouraging this relationship. Exactly. And it's just, I think maybe it's the things that have happened since, but I just definitely think it's, it's different watching this episode through that lens or through 2021 eyes. Um, ironic since this takes place in, in the future and everything like that. Was there anything else in this episode that you saw that kind of you thought looking back on this, that sticks out or, or this is particularly problematic, maybe viewing it through contemporary lens? Well, well, certainly we've got Quark and Keiko. So that that's not a match in terms of their personalities, but also Keiko's married to Miles. Um, and, and, and in, and in fact, um, never at any stage before or after this has Quark, who's quite happy to actually share his, his, his uh, amorous thoughts with us, uh, in the episodes, um, has he ever mentioned or talked about Keiko? And in fact, he's he's often in his conversations with Miles um, talked about their relationship as being one that he admires um, because of its its solidness. The Ferengi are an interesting uh, group in terms of relationships. You humans, you never learn. You let your women go out in public, hold jobs wear clothing and you wonder why your marriages fall apart that's your solution Quark, huh? treat women like property criticize it all you want but on the ferengi home world husbands and wives never argue there's no divorce no broken homes nothing but peaceful conjugal bliss they're very misogynistic. It's a, it's a male-dominated society where the, the females don't have a lot of rights, but it's also a purity society where there's an expectation of faithfulness and and, and I guess that, that's where a level of control comes in. So um, there's no way in the world that um, that, 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 that would be um, a relationship you'd write about. Likewise, Beryl. Beryl's a... Uh, Two I see of the church of the day, um, and uh, you know he's they, they they make that clear at the beginning of the episode that he's been appointed by the new Kai, who's like a pope, um, to to be uh, the advisor, uh, and so likewise, you know he's he's not gonna uh, that's not going to be um, good for his reputation or appropriate for him to be to be changing who he's interested in from one to the other and making these kinds of chaotic flippant decisions. As I said, the, the the stuff as far as the relationship between Miles and Keiko is probably the most wholesome part of the entire thing. And I thought that was a genuinely good storyline there alongside this stuff with the Midsummer Night's Dream stuff that was happening um, besides all of that. But um, it's definitely, it's a relief episode. It's an episode that sits before and after some major storylines it's kind of there as a stopgap for that little bit that people can kind of enjoy this single episode um not everyone did from 
the critical response. I definitely did. I thought there's a lot of great stuff here in terms of what it says about relationships, even as far as that relationship between Miles and Keiko. Um, am I maybe reading what I want to in, into this one? Am I alone in, in finding that one? Well, we, we actually have sometimes, uh, I guess, a, a, a fantasy or elevated view of married relationships. You know, like we, we, we often see in media and, and in movies and shows where uh, they're often about the, the single people looking for love to complete them and make them whole. And, and often marriage is actually um, portrayed in shows like this as a destination. Um, you know, when we get there and we say, I do, and all our friends are happy and we throw the bouquet, that from that point onwards, uh, that's where the story says, and they lived happily ever after. Um, watching this episode provoked me to go back and actually watch the episode of Next Generation called Data's Day. And that's the episode where Miles and Keiko get married on the Enterprise. Um, and um, it's really interesting that that, that episode begins um, with Keiko saying to, to Data from Next Generation, um, I need to call it all off. I've got cold feet. I don't think this is a good idea. And she asks Data to go and tell Miles that it's all off. And Miles responds by being very upset, which is not what Data was expecting. So so from the beginning of where we first see this relationship, we see that it's actually a very uh, strong, communicative, um, committed relationship, but it's also one that's that's still got its level of turmoil and chaos and stress in it. And, I mean, speaking very frankly from, from my perspective, um, my journey with with uh, my wife has been very much that way. That it's not it's not happy ever after. It's um, it's uh, you got to work at this to make it right. There was a moment where he uh, Miles at one point kind of I think realizes the mistake that he's made or realizes he's been an idiot, and I think he actually tells Quark that the Ferengi marriages are so wonderful. Why are you still single? I haven't met the right woman yet. Well, I have. She just walked out that door. And out of your life. Not if I can help it. A lot of us can relate to that very moment that he realizes he was the the one that was wrong in that instance. And I, I thought that was handled quite well. I thought that it had moments like that. And I think, yeah, as you say, it's great to see, or I thought it was great to see that. I thought it was one of the more realistic um, sorts of uh, depictions of the marriage that I've seen on TV, at least. Um, certainly hadn't expected to take that away based on the reputation that this um, one episode has. And they, they have um, some real tensions here. I mean, they both have careers they want to pursue. Um, their careers in some ways are pulling them in different directions. Uh, in this episode, Miles um, writes his resignation and gives it to to Cisco, um, and 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 decides he actually has to decide what's important to me. Um, is my marriage and my relationship important to me? Um, am I prepared to give up my career and my position in order to actually support my 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 spouse? Um, and I really like that that in some ways it was very much ahead of its time in nineteen the nineteen nineties for the male character to be asking himself that question um, because even today we're not seeing that that's the case. Like in, and, I mean, over the last 12 months or so, we've seen a number of politicians 
um, who, who are female politicians say, I, 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 I need to decide my family over the, the, the high-paced, high-tempo life of um, being in politics. And so they step down from cabinet positions or even from politics altogether in order to make that choice. So, so to see a, a male character actually doing that soul-searching and, and being prepared to ask that question, I, I thought was a really, um, a really good piece of, um, of, of role modelling. Which, again, you might not have expected from an episode like this one. No, no, that's right. Well, look, I think we've probably uh, followed the inappropriate, wacky relationship angle to as far as as it, as it can possibly go. Um, that being said, um, inappropriate, wacky, dangerously wacky um, is a descriptor that could be used for just about every episode of Star Trek where Marjel Barrett has actually appeared. Yeah. Um, the character of Loxana Troy um, is, is a character of chaos where – she is is constantly pushing the boundaries about appropriate relationships, whether that be with Captain Picard or Commander Riker or or whoever is around. Um, certainly, she um, and and one of the things I love about her as a character, and she's one of those lover or hate or characters, is that we we tend not to see. Uh, let's use the word they used: mature women being characterised in in this kind of dangerously wacky role very often. And it's interesting too that in terms of like this character um, showing up, like they're not afraid to make her, in terms of the wackiness, be the one that instigates a lot of this. She's Her presence on board this, from the very beginning of the episode actually, when there's that whole line about she gave – you know, the child's sick, the child has just thrown up, and she's like, oh, I, I know I gave her too many sweets. Yep. From the very beginning, she's kind of almost what you'd describe as um, in the way that, you know, Q is not a villain, for instance. He yes. is an antagonist. She's almost the antagonist in, in one respect or another here, but a lot of the plot revolves around her. She's a very strong kind of presence in that particular regard, and it's also uh, doing some of the pre-reading for this show, um, I was curious to find out that that the actress that plays her is uh, the second wife of the guy that wrote Star Trek, of the creator of Star Trek. That's right. Gene Roddenberry's second wife, yes. Which just as far as roles to for her to play, I, if that's the lineage, I definitely – it wouldn't have been my first choice uh, if that's the kind of fairly prominent person you, you assume there as far as the whole – presence within the star trek community and stuff like that so it was i was impressed by that i was impressed by the fact that she played that character and by the fact that so much of this revolves around her and this uh, episode was actually uh written by gene roddenberry uh so and directed by avery brooks uh so so it's really interesting um that um, I mean, and and uh, the 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 way that Luxana Troy is is played in this episode um, is totally consistent with every other time we've seen her appear. I, I, and I I hadn't considered until you just said, but but she really does hold that same kind of place and tension in the series as Q does. That she, you know, when she appears, that chaos is going to ensue. So. Roddenberry died in 1991. This came about and this actually aired about four years later. So was there a lot of posthumous kind of material left that 
was yet to be put in the can when he passed away. What happened there? Definitely. Um, and when I was doing some reading, I, I, uh, I have this book that my wife gave to me called The Star Trek Deep Space Nine Companion. Um, this was an episode that was written um, before Deep Space Nine came about. So there were a whole bunch of episodes that were written by Gene Roddenberry that they had up their sleeve. Um, and so they made the in, an intentional decision to place fascination here in between um, the Defiant, which we watched last week, which is like got some really intense themes in it around terrorism and rebellion and the Marquis, uh, and uh, Past Tense Part One and Two, which comes up in the next couple of weeks, um, where we're actually uh, talking about a uh, futuristic. Uh, race riots um, in America, which just so happens to have occurred uh, in 2022. So that'll be some interesting stuff for us to to unpack in the coming weeks. So they were really looking for a lighthearted uh, standalone episode where they could develop some character and have some fun. Uh, and so that's why they made the decision to put fascination uh, right here to give us a bit of a break from the intensity um, of um, of issues that they've been raising. Yeah, again, there's plenty to discuss and to tease out of that, though, if we look at the way the characters interact and some of the inappropriateness there, the kind of, uh, this is the, it almost intersects with the whole Me Too movement and the kind of discussions about workplace relationships that we're having now in Australia, uh, based on certain things that have happened in our parliament and uh there's plenty here in terms of things we could discuss in terms of what makes for an appropriate or inappropriate relationship there. But that's, it doesn't really progress too far above that surface. It's a lighthearted episode. What they've done too is they've actually um, been able to play around with what's responsible behavior. So because we discover that it's all Waxana's fault, um, that these people have behaved in this way, um, they they get a get out of jail free card for their taking responsibility for their for their actions. Yeah. So it all becomes a bit of a bit of a giggle. Let's not talk about this ever again, kind of thing, because they can all point to a reason why these things happened. But I and I think sometimes, especially um, with the way that we we deal with relationships. In, in our real world, especially in the realm of politics, that, um, you know, when there's a spin on things and we're actually just wanting things to, to, to get behind us so we can move on, when there's an, an election looming and we need we need a story to go away, we, we look for ways to be able to rename or reframe um, what's going on. Um, and, I mean, this gets really serious for us because, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the situation around um, uh, Parliament House, you know, a, a, a serious sexual assault was actually reframed as a security breach. Um, and so it, it, in a lot of ways, it mirrors some of the stuff that we're, we're, we're trying to work through at the moment is, is, is um, the inappropriateness of reframing some of these very serious issues um, um, uh, can allow them not to be resolved properly. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's something that if we if we look to this episode for answers, you're not going to really find too many um, there within it. But outside of the wonderful relationship that occurs there in that one instance, um, were there, so were there any other, stemming from this, to telescope ahead a little bit, were there any other kind of references made to the episode after the fact then? Or was this 
largely as a, a kind of a one-off and then sort of one and done outside of the uh, some of the relationship stuff uh, between uh, as far as Odo and uh, I can never pronounce her name properly. Um, based- yeah, it's it's difficult. Luaxana. Luaxana, yeah. Uh- yeah, so so certainly Luxana uh, and Odo do come together again later on. Later on, um, I'm not sure what season it's in. I'd have to have a look. Um, but later on, Luxana does come back to the station, and she's in a bit of a pickle. She she's actually got herself into a, an abusive relationship, um, where she's she's at the point where she's going to need to be married. She's committed herself to be married to this 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 leader or ambassador from another world. Um, and, um, and, and, and the relationship has turned very nasty. Um, and she, she's losing her sense of self and control in that relationship. And Odo really steps in to, 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 um, the only way she can get out of that relationship is if somebody else champions and becomes her, her new, new spouse. Um, and so Odo steps into that role. Um, and, um, and I think he does that out of a sense of friendship to begin with, but it becomes more than that. It becomes more important to him during the episode. So their their, their relationship um, is is an interesting one um, that that has been building over uh, uh, the last two seasons and continues to go again. Likewise, the the struggle between um, in the in the marriage of Keiko and Miles about um, their careers continues to to go on as well as Keiko. Uh, spends time away and comes back, and Miles um, um, is 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 staying on the station by himself. So those two relationships do continue, but much like many Star Trek episodes, um, all the other stuff is kind of gone. Let's just forget that ever happened. I mean, it would be a, a great one to throw in, even the odd line here and there about yeah, it you just, remember when yes yeah, just a, <laughs> and then both play characters could just say no and then move on with the scene as though it hadn't been said let's not mention this yeah, yes yeah. <laughs> we all had fever um, let's move on interestingly though there they do flirt with this later on as the deep space nine series does um mature um they actually do come back to something like this that runs over i can't remember which season it is but our uh in later seasons nana visitor becomes uh, the actress who plays um uh kira narice um becomes pregnant in real life um and so um, there's no way for her to be written, for Major Kira to be written in as as having a baby. And so what they do is they have a transporter accident where Keiko, who uh, the character has become pregnant, um, uh, they actually have to move the baby um, from Keiko into Kira as a surrogate. Wow. And so Keiko and Kira and Miles – um, all end up living together in one lot of quarters, and Bashir, who's the doctor, is spending a lot of time there as well because he's he's caring for this 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 complex surrogacy between a human and a Bajoran, and so we've got four characters in this kind of odd tension again that lasts for nearly a whole season until the baby's born, because uh, Alexander Siddig, who plays. Um, Dr. Bashir is at that stage married to Nana Visitor, who's having the baby, who's having Miles O'Brien's baby, um, and Keiko is happy for for Kira to be having Miles's baby, 
and and so that they have this this awkwardness of of that setup happening um in a, in later seasons as well it's um it's definitely one of those storylines where i think they had to kind of adjust on the fly and make the best that they could out of that situation so as to acknowledge the real life circumstances that they had yeah yeah and there are echoes of the the kind of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate um, uh, sort of modern family kind of echoes in that um, that that have kind of um, um, kind of begun as a bit of an iceberg in this episode. So that they didn't entirely re- uh, sort of not retcon, but sort of discard this then, and it wasn't entirely a standalone episode in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I did want to talk about um, when we mentioned it earlier, we talked about spoilers. Um, is is that whole idea? Um, and, and it's just occurred to me coming out of Easter um, this year um, for the revised common lectionary. Mark and John have had a primary kind of position in terms of um, the Easter story, and John uh, John's gospel is actually absolutely full of spoilers. There are all of these behind the hand comments, you know. Judas, who would later betray Jesus, kind of <laughs> comments um, that that are that are, are are both spoilers to the story uh, and appetizers as well. Um, and, you know, John's got several references where he says Jesus said this because he was talking about his death. Now, you wouldn't write about a climactic death in a novel beforehand unless you were actually trying to actually do some foreshadowing. Um, so there's this really interesting dynamic between the concept of spoilers, foreshadowing, and appetizing um, that I, I think um, are, are worth exploring as well. Apart from that, the other thing I love about John's gospel is he takes the time to point out that he ran ahead of someone and beat them, basically. Yes. That, that he <laughs> ran there quicker than the other person did. But, yeah, it's definitely um, there, the kind of – uh, foreshadowing technique in that gospel that is uh, kind of put playing to the reader's expectation. Uh, again, it's not quite the same thing as what we'd consider to be a spoiler. Now, um, one of those foreshadowing things that's in this one, um, and I guess they, they kind of run right through, is the character of Morn. Um, so at the beginning of this episode, we get to see Morn um, again. Morn, it's hard to believe a handsome, fun-loving guy like you could have so many problems. My advice to you is to burn this as quickly as possible and don't look back. Um, Morn is that character in this series who comically never speaks and yet everyone knows what he thinks. Of course, that um, was the uh, character in the bar at that one point and then at another point he's there and they, um, they say something about how some oh, – th- that's right, they've got the whole uh, burning of the scrolls. That's and correct, yes. early scrolls that's burnt. That's right, yep. And and um, he's got quite a full list. Yeah. So he's he's obviously got a lot of – a lot of things that he wants to um, uh, leave behind, um, and 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 I guess that's the other interesting thing. The the looking at the gratitude festival, uh, in a lot of ways, reminded me of the season of Lent. Um, this whole idea of saying, you know, at, at a certain time of every year, we write down all of the things that are getting in the way of our happiness, and we write them down on a page and we burn them. Um, and then we recite all of the things that we're grateful for. 
Um, and there's a there's a lovely liturgy in that that actually is being displayed. And and we see Kira standing as a as a sort of a, a religious figure in that actually um, handing out the gratitude scrolls and 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 um, running the initial ceremony. Tezra, Peldor, Impatre, Bren. Bentel, Vetan, Ulan, stand. And now, I have the honor of placing the first renewal scroll into the fire. As the scrolls burn, may our troubles turn to ashes with them. And the festival being one that there seems to be a, like different degrees of participation in much like Lent itself. Um, not yep. everyone will partake in 40 days of giving something up. I hadn't even heard of people really taking that seriously until relatively recently. I'm talking maybe the ten, last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't. So, yeah, don't don't partake to that extent. This festival kind of sits as a backdrop to um, all of this Midsummer Night's Dream activity that's happening, where people are are in, actively engaged in things we know they'll regret later. Um, whilst we've got this liturgy that actually allows us to deal with the things that we 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 regret and actually um, talk about the things that we're grateful for. Yeah, so look, there's a lot in this episode, um, and um, I, I actually think, even though um, I, I think, like as I said before, I think that the main issue that um, gets this uh, a bad write up or or a bad review is that um, we're not expecting a romantic comedy in our sci-fi action space. Yeah, and again, it's it's one that maybe, which is why I had a different reaction to this um watching this in isolation and that's an interesting thing in and of itself the fact that and i think that points to what i would say is one thing that is good about the episode and about the writing about this show in general is uh, i could access it i had some idea it's obviously been over 20 years since i last watched the show but i could access the characters i knew who was who in relation to who else which is a big one um you could definitely get some sense of to who was what and where. And I think that's part of the strength of the writing of the show from what I can remember it. Um, but yeah, definitely I had a different experience watching this in isolation than I might have watching it, you know, side by side with other episodes and with the big storyline that has just wrapped up and then the storylines that are to follow. So the other interesting thing that um, is coming out of this in terms of romance and romantic comedy uh, and and tension and star-crossed love in some ways is that um, we're beginning to get the impression that um, there is something between Odo and Kira. I hope everything works out for you, Odo. With Major Kira. I don't know what you mean. Oh, don't worry, your secret's safe with me. After all, I know what it's like to be attracted to someone who doesn't necessarily feel the same way. If you get tired of waiting for her, 
You know where to find me. I'll keep that in mind. And that really develops much later on in the in the series. But there's a there's a foreshadowing here um, of actually uh, trying to 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 I guess at least demonstrate that that Odo has an interest in Kira, um, and that whilst he he cares about Waxana as as a good friend, that he's actually um, uh, and, and at this stage he's in a in a difficult position because Kira is is in a relationship with Beryl. Um, that that um, that Odo really um, has has felt uh, a, a a connection with Kira for a very long time. And so that was br- sort of briefly touched upon early in the episode, wasn't it? In terms of um, yep. her really uh, inviting him to the festival, or at least discussing with him whether or not he'd be in attendance, and his reaction when he found out that obviously Beryl would be in attendance. That's right, yep. Now, things get better for Odo shortly because only in a few episodes' time um, Beryl dies. There's a big spoiler for <laughs> uh, And uh, in the episode Life Support um, coming up. Um, and and it's actually um, uh, a bit of an unfortunate um, thing that, that Kira has had, had um, a number of different relationships with prominent uh, Bajoran leaders, um, and and none of them ever work out. That she she doesn't ever seem to be able to 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 complete that relationship. And, and I even hesitate to use the word complete because I don't want to get caught in the idea of saying that we're. And I think that's one of the things in this episode that we 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 do talk about marriage and the union of of marriage as if it is a destination. Um, when in fact, you know, we are we we can be complete in our singleness. We can be complete in our marriedness. Um, that we actually have have um, a great deal of choice and agency when it comes to relationship. And definitely uh, one that I think. I mean, I I would love to ask all sorts of questions here about where Odo ends up at the end of all of this and about what happens. I remember some interesting character moments uh, from when I first watched. But I'll try to refrain from that. I might actually get back into the series, having had the chance to come on here and discuss this uh, with you. It's definitely one that picked my interest a little bit there, as far as that character goes. But I'm hoping for good things for that character from what I've seen so far. Be that whether or not he ends up single or in the relationship. It. Yeah, and and for him especially, being um, one of the changelings from the Dominion. That, that great link that they have um, where they can actually all become a big shimmering lake all joined and intermingled together, that being an individual, um, that there's a great deal of pain and grief involved in actually being separate and isolated. So there's a, there's a lot to um, to explore in Odo's journey as he goes forward. Definitely, um, if you are looking at getting back into it, then we should we should have uh, another conversation in the future as we um, we find a – uh, episodes where where that that kind of um, 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 uh, storyline continues for for Odo. I mean, he's definitely got a, char- a character with a heavy kind of backstory, isn't he? Um, as far as yes. some things that happened to him, and as far as the things that he's uh, people were responsible for at different points in the story. That's right. Um, so uh, some comments that came out of my research was that Armin Simmerman, who plays Quark. Uh, said that it was a very silly episode. 
um, Armin Shimmerman, uh, Armin Shimmerman teaches Shakespeare uh, classes during his downtime when he was um, doing the series. And he said that he thought it was very embarrassing for us to be acting out of character and doing love scenes with people who are supposed to be our friends. So there was a really interesting kind of dynamic there. Um, uh, Alexander Siddig um, um, also said that this episode was memorable for not quite pulling off what it attempted to do, um, although he admits that he did enjoy the juicy scenes with Nana Visitor. Um, we didn't rehearse them at all, he said. Um, I wasn't. Re- I was really nervous about them, but then uh, they were tremendous fun. So, so uh, I guess he got he got an opportunity to make out with uh, with a co co star, which again um, would just nowadays raise all sorts of questions as far as the actors and their conduct and everything else goes. But that's in light of other events and everything else. Um, and um, the director, um, uh, Bihir, uh, said that the relationship between O'Brien and Coco I think is the most real example of married life uh, in the history of Star Trek series. Uh, it's about expectations and trying to live up to them and trying not to have too many but bonding with your spouse and not being able to bond with your spouse about being on different levels and wavelengths. Yeah. So so, so it's, it, it really does... Um, open up that that vulnerability um, of of um, having to work at uh, a married relationship. And it's interesting because there was a situation where uh, because of her job, she had to be somewhere. Because of his, he had to be somewhere else. They had a little bit of overlap time. In the end, the ultimate thing is not yet resolved there. They yep. weren't able to ultimately have him do what he suggested and go with her, nor can she come back there and be with him, which – you know, at one point the suggestion was, well, why don't you demand that? Why'd you let her go? Why didn't you demand that she come back? Um, yep. The, the ultimate tension point isn't actually resolved there, which I, I think is nice. It doesn't make a nice, neat resolution at the very end there. It's an ongoing situation for them. And what they do um, come to is they make a decision to commit to living in the tension together. So they can't resolve the tension. Um, without somebody losing or the compromise being too great. So they make the decision to to live in that tension um, together um, and, 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 and commit to that. And that's not easy. We could have a spin-off podcast to this one about relationships through the lens of Star Trek, but I definitely think that in this case, it's one of the, as they said, the more realistic uh, examples there of relationship that they depicted on screen. Absolutely. Well, look, that's probably um, all we need to um, explore today. It's been fantastic to have this conversation. Are there any um, parting thoughts or ideas that you uh, you really wanted to talk about as we um, bring the podcast to an end? Oh, not really. Outside of it's an interesting one that as far as a lot of people did not like this episode, as far as the, the most hated, I saw one review that gave it three out of ten. I didn't think it was bad at all and it definitely has me curious enough to kind of want to check out more. So I think this could be a jumping on episode for anyone that hasn't really invested in the series yet or who uh, might need some kind of introduction here. It actually has a uh, potential for non-fans. So it, uh, you know, despite being a problematic episode in some ways, the depiction of some of these relationships between superiors and others and some of the ways that this all takes place, um, it's surprisingly uh, interesting 
as an episode in terms of how some things have held up. So it's maybe not as bad as people remember it is my hot take uh, from this one. We might um, put it down as a re-entry episode. Um, so um, be interested in what the listeners think um, when we put this up onto Facebook on Never Odd or Even uh, or on oddrev.com. Leave us a comment. Give us your review, um, even if it's as simple as a number from 1 to 10. Tell me uh, tell me how many uh, – how many, uh, what is it, warp fields you'll give it. Um, and um, that, that'll be a, a good thing to, to, to work with. Um, we tend not to rate the episodes, but, yes, uh, I, I actually would go with you on this. I actually uh, would, have, uh, would have said that this was, for me, an, an 8 or 9 out of 10 episode just because of the, the way in which we're able to explore the depth of these characters. Um, Thanks, Jonathan, for joining me. This has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast, and we'll look forward to um, exploring um, these kinds of topics with you in the future. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. Now, you can find uh, us on, as I said, oddrev.com or on Facebook, Never Odd or Even. We also have our Patreon account running at the moment for Never Odd or Even Media. So if you'd like to support us, then uh, please um feel free to jump on there. Uh, and you can comment in any of those spaces. Uh, we also use SoundCloud for our uh, uploading. Uh, so uh, I, I would love it if you would, um, as you're listening, uh, jump on and subscribe and leave comments in, in, in any or all of those places because all of it helps uh, for us to build the community around Deep Faith Nine. But uh, that's all there is for us until next week when we uh, jump into the futuristic parts, past tense part one. Um, I, uh, I've been Will Nicholas and this has been the Deep Faith Nine Podcast.